it is better to be authentic and raw mm-hmm. than to be polished and fake. Because, you know, polish often goes with artifice or fakeness. But mm-hmm. authenticity usually comes with a certain degree of of imperfection or a certain degree of um, of rawness. But because authenticity is in short supply, it's more appreciated what's polished and fake. How can you create a transformation in others if there's no transformation in, in yourself? Join your host, Greg Favaza. As your voice on the hard truths of leadership, your transformation station, connecting clarity, connecting clarity to the cutting edge of leadership. As millennials, we can establish change, not only ourselves, but through organizational change, bringing transparency that goes beyond the organization and reflects back into ourselves, extracting, extracting actionable advice and alternative perspectives. That will take you outside of yourself. I'd like to add some witty humor into the recording. All right. Yes. So, Luke Chow, welcome to your transformation station. Before you get to say thanks for having me, I want to address a couple things with the show. We are going to have an authentic conversation. There will be no monologuing. This will be an intellectual conversation. We will take it wherever it goes, and then we'll pivot from that direction to try to get down the beaten path of where we want to end up. If you want to sell something, you're going to have to hold it to the end. Everybody does, and that's quite all right. So from here on Be ready for anything. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Greg. I am 100% on board. If you disagree with anything I say, I do want you to call me out on it because if you're thinking it, our listeners are thinking it too. And thank you for having me. God, you already won me over. (laughs) But we want authentic conversations. We want real shit. So we want to make sure that we understand what is actually being spoken and what (laughs) authenticity is in short supply these days, Greg. Um, And authenticity does sometimes come with so-called imperfections. Um, One thing I often say to my clients is it it is better to be authentic and raw Mm -hmm. than to be polished and fake. Cause you know, polish often goes with artifice or fakeness. But mm-hmm. authenticity usually comes with a certain degree of of imperfection or a certain degree of um, of rawness. But because authenticity is in short supply, it's more appreciated. What's polished and fake? I, I gotta say so, something real quick. Like yeah. the way you sound, like you you have a soothing voice. And <laughs> Thank you. I believe that definitely has taken a lot of work to make that happen for you. 
Well, part of the reason is you've chosen a very good uh, platform to record on. So obviously, you know, many platforms would take my voice and just compress it into a very tight um, bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of it is the recording equipment and and everything. And but but also I've been doing hypnotherapy my entire adult life. So since I was 23 years old, now I'm almost 40. I've been doing hypnotherapy and people kind of. They, they don't become their occupations, but what you think about or how you act most of the week is going to affect how you act when you're not officially at work. So I, I think part of it is, you know, when I was young, I got compliments on my voice sometimes when I would read poetry in English class or something. Mm-hmm. So part of it, I, I, I think, you know, it is natural, but part of it, I'm sure, is also I'm used to speaking in a way that communicates effectively, that makes people want to listen, and that helps people to accept the ideas that that I put into words. My my profession basically is to give people higher quality ways of thinking, but it's not just the words that matter. It's also how you communicate it. It, It's it's the way you pick your words. It's how you speak Mm -hmm. the words. It's even the equipment For, for online sessions, which is what I'm mostly doing these days, it's how, 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 how the voice is picked up and then communicated through the internet. That's interesting. Now, I, before we go into this conversation, you have a business. It's called the Morpheus Clinic. So with your clients, do you offer them the blue pill or the red pill? Um, so <laughs> the, the, the Matrix is one of the references that the um, name of my business references. Um, so, uh, but the, the other references are Morpheus originally was the Greek god of dreams. Um, and also, um, Morpheus is, um, the Sandman in Neil Gaiman's Sandman series. And I'm a fan of all three of the above. So the Matrix and Sandman and Greek mythology. So, you know, I, I, it's not just, uh, um, the matrix that the name references. But um, I, I would say, you know, if, if, if the blue pill is to <laughs> stay in a fantasy world that feels kind of nice, but that is a fantasy. And if the red pill is to kind of, you know, to, to open your eyes to reality and to accept reality as it is without fantasy, without delusion, definitely the second, definitely the red pill. And it's because if I am in the business of helping people to be happier and calmer and live higher quality lives, they can't be living in a fantasy. They live in a fantasy. They'll make false predictions about, you know, what happens if they do certain things or, you know, false predictions about their capacity for change and that kind of thing. But if if you kind of take a, um, a, a close, hard look, not just at what we might call reality. If we take a close, hard look at the reassuring truths and the inspiring truths and the empowering truths, there's plenty there in mm. anyone's life. Go into to that, please. Be empowered by. Sure, absolutely. So many people kind of see hypnotism as putting people into fantasy worlds. And when I started my practice, or actually even before I started my practice. Uh, 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 you're, you're monologuing. I'm, I'm stopping you right there. I want to hit those truths right there. I want okay. you to go into those. Okay. Okay. So I'll, I'll skip the backstory. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. So 
one thing I, I keep saying is, is um, that our aliveness matters. That's a truth. That's a reassuring truth. Everyone listening to this is alive, but not everyone listening to this has their aliveness first and foremost on their minds. So, you know, people who are kind of like afraid of flying, they're afraid of, you know, traveling outside their comfort zone. People who are, you know, with various phobias, they are thinking more about dying than living. But dying is a distant, you know, it it is going to happen. Like eventually it happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. But aliveness is a current ongoing truth for literally everyone who's listening right now. And it's a very good truth. Okay. So let me ask you this before we go into the next two truths with what you've just spoken. I definitely understand you from looking at it from a psychology perspective. If Mm -hmm. we are, if we have arachnophobia, we're afraid of spike. God, I used this already in my previous podcast. I hate that when I reiterate something on two shows. You don't have to be so hard on yourself. Oh, yeah, that's that's difficult right there, but we'll go into it. All right. So arachnophobia, we're afraid of spiders. What is the root reason behind that? It leads to death. Now, is that what you that's what you came across with your clientele that you've been seen with? Okay, so I'll I'll use arachnophobia as an example because it is an issue that comes up. It's, It's a fear that many of my former clients have had. And in some parts of the world, you're right. If so, in some parts of the world, if one's completely careless about which spiders they hold and pet, they could get poisoned and die. That is true. I think the root of, you know, a fear like this is not necessarily like in our environment or the way we're brought up. I, I think it, it, there's sort of something instinctual about, you know, being creeped out by, 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 by spiders. But, you know, we, we kind of grew, <laughs> humanity evolved in more tropical climates, not mm-hmm. like outside my window, th- 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 there's snow everywhere because I, I'm in Toronto, Canada. And there, nice. there's literally no chance I'm going to get bitten by a venomous spider walking around, you know, local parks and ravines and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So a reassuring truth that I would say to any of my clients who at least are living in Toronto is that you can feel perfectly safe walking through parks and forests, um, you know, going up to your cabin, going to the cottage in a place like this, that the, the fear is disproportionate with the threat, that your body misperceives threats where actually there are none. Now, if mm-hmm. I were talking to someone, so I've had a client, for example, um, who was moving to Mexico and has arachnophobia. and sure. um, so in a situation where a client might actually come face to face with like a, um, like a, a brown recluse or a black widow spider, God, um, the, 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 the message is similar because most spiders are still going to be harmless, but with the addition of, of the message that you'll learn to identify the dangerous spiders. Fear's never a helpful reaction. You are better protected through clear identification of the, the animal you're dealing with. So you'll know what the venomous spiders in your area look like. You will keep a distance from them. You don't have to be afraid during any of it. And 
most spiders you encounter are, are going to be harmless. Now, let so, me, let me pause. You, you're a monologuer. I'm going to, I'm going to hold you down. I'm in the business of talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. But we're going to get, we're going to get some gold out of this. You have a lot of insight. Now, let me ask you with, let's get off the spiders and mm-hmm. let's look at, oh man, millennial population. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of trauma. Now, let me yeah. let me preface where I want to take this. Okay, with mm-hmm. your transformation station, we are looking at culture. We're looking at organizational ethics. We're looking at leadership, but we're also looking at human behavior and psychology. Now, yeah. we as millennials have experienced different forms of being raised mm-hmm. now i feel like there's some things in our past that still haunt us that we don't have clarity on yep. what is actually bothering us and we sometimes will try to grasp onto something that will help mm-hmm. us understand what actually is holding us back right got it so I am an older millennial. I was born in the early 80s. So mm-hmm. I do count myself as a millennial. I'm kind of a digital native. Um, and usually the culture war that's talked about is millennials versus boomers. And um, in that context, obviously, values and societal mores change over mm-hmm. time. And what is normal in the 21st century is not what was normal in the middle part of the last century when many of our parents were born, or even the latter part of the last century when many of our parents grew up. So one thing I've got to say to you and to your millennial listeners, or even like the next generation, um, is that by the time you become an adult, right? In the eyes of the world, you're fundamentally an equal to your parents and people who used to be your teachers and the other adults. Like We all get one vote at election time, right? So boomers don't get any extra votes because they're boomers. Millennials do get a vote because now they're of adult age. So um, there's so much I want to say about this, but I'm yeah. going to try not to monologue, as you put it. Appreciate um, one, one point I want to make is that you know, we all have ethics and morals and values. At least we, oh, I hope we all have morals and ethics. At least we have our own code. They should be we, instilled at least. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but, but even like in the absence of what you might call a moral education, one can turn to his or her own heart to connect with what he or she feels to be good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if everyone believed in this principle, then the world would be a better place. I think we can all introspect in that way and connect with our own conscience, which is an interesting word because I used to hear it a lot growing up. I don't hear the word conscience get used really all that much any longer. Don't know if it's just me or if it's broadly, but but what I'm saying is most people have a conscience. Most people have an inner moral compass. And it's only when you were a child that you had to push aside your own and listen to your parents or your teachers. Now you're an adult. That's a matter of fact. And as an adult, your 
morality is well informed. Your conscience is a mature conscience. If, if, if you still if you still disagree with, say, your parents in some ways today, so say they're homophobic or racist or whatever, and you think they're just completely wrong, mm-hmm. well, you have a 21st century morality that was informed by more recent years than, say, a homophobic or bigoted or racist mm-hmm. uh, worldview, I'll, I'll call it. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, I mean... So in some ways, younger people have it right. And in some ways, older people are kind of, not obviously it's not everyone, but um, what I'm saying is we don't have to defer to elders because they're older. I'm saying that um, because society changes so quickly, decade by decade, younger people have a more up-to-date worldview. Well, see what I'm... Right now, I feel like it's changing much faster than that. Right mm-hmm. now, with what we're dealing with is we are looking into the metaverse. We are looking at our own perceptions that we are facing in our own home office as we try to communicate with other people through the screen on the other side, through podcast, yeah. whatever we want to do, Tinder. But yeah. hold that thought there. Now, with how we... <laughs> We, I don't, I don't see us getting what we need from what has already been given to us by our elders, by our parents, by our mentors. I feel like mm-hmm. there's a certain point where we have to move off and address things in our own way, using our own unique identity and pioneer innovation in the workplace, in life, and in the issues that we all are dealing with. Because now mm-hmm. they are affecting the system as a whole. Yep. And I'm just trying to understand is with with You're ethic. talking about leadership. Yes. To, yes. to turn inwardly to our own um, inner compass, to, to our, our own values and ethics, and to boldly go where older generations did not go. Yes. is leadership and it's a good thing it's something that benefits everyone when sometimes people step up and demonstrate leadership because if you only listen to prior generations teachers parents mentors and so on you're a follower the, the, one of the big distinctions between a leader and a follower is a follower turns to others for advice or guidance or validation and a leader turns Within him or herself. Now, whoa, whoa. Yes. Yeah. I, I hate to be the dude that cuts you off. We're going to, we're going to, we'll get the rhythm right. What, what comes first? Is it the follower or the leader? I would say that we all, growing up, we have to kind of learn what is and follow the leadership of those who have come before us. We all kind of go through the first. 18, 21, 25 years of our life where we are following, where we do consume more than we produce, where we kind of are influenced by those who influence us. But by the time we're we're 18, 21, 25, you can pick a number. We are adults. We can create our own thoughts and ideas and opinions or podcasts and books and so on from our own hearts, from our own minds, from our own inner worlds. And we don't just have to consume other people's thoughts or opinions. So I would say for sure, 
you know, you, you can't have a baby producing brilliant architecture. They have to understand through the first many years of their life, you know, what has come before them and how, how, how it's sort of done. But once they become an adult and once their career reaches a certain point, they're going to break the boundaries. They're going to push forward and invent new styles. And th- that I would suggest is, is the normal and healthy progression Beautiful. of of a person. I love that. That, that, that I don't I don't want to beat it anymore. That let's leave it mm-hmm. as it is right there. Now you per, you present yourself as a more practical driven hypnotist. <laughs> Tell us about Correct. that. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I, I was starting to say I don't really put people in fantasy worlds, and instead I kind of ground people in the reassuring truths. I mean, it's a truth that pretty much everyone, or at least most people listening to this, is an adult. If they're over 18, they can vote, they can serve in the military, they can serve their country. They're an adult. Cool. Full stop. So they do, it's not to rise above their station to recognize that they have a morality that counts. They, they don't have to exclude themselves from the other adults. They don't have to sit at the kid table any longer. They can sort of, you know, hold their, their own, at least, you know, increasingly over time against the other adults in the world. And th- th- this is good because many of the ways that people are kind of um, traumatized, just to kind of loop back to one of the topics you brought up, okay. is that th- th- they have a sense of what's right, what's good, how the world ought to work. And then that is terribly violated. So it- it- it's not just, say, the car accident. It's not just, you know, a war atrocity that they witness. Mm-hmm. It's also th- their sense of morality is violated. Now, right? do, see, I, I agree a hundred percent, but do you think it almost is adapted to a higher level of thinking to avoid those situations from ever happening again? Um, yes, yes. And no. Um, I, I can see the adaptivity. I can see also how it's maladaptive. So I can kind of see it from both perspectives where it is true. If you're terrified of spiders, you might never leave your home and never encounter a spider and you just spray raid all over your home mm-hmm. so that you never have to face a spider. I mean, in that sense, a fear of spiders prevents you from ever being bitten by a spider. Mm-hmm. But that's a fairly limited way to to see it. If you kind of step back, then it's maladaptive to stay in your home and spray every crevice with raid whenever you have a chance. Okay. So PTSD with being involved in a serious situation where death has occurred in front of somebody's eyes. Now you did, you did, you said no at the very last part. I really want to touch that first before I go any further. Do you sure. do you think that we find ourselves in these situations again because we are almost testing ourselves to overcome the situation that we didn't overcome initially? Possibly. Um, I mean, I, I can't kind of speculate on a hypothetical person. Um, again, you know, whenever we talk about a group of, say, a few million people around the world or, you know, mm-hmm. even like a billion people, we can't, you know, I, I can't really give one pat answer. Um, in some cases, yes. 
um, in some cases, it does cause avoidance. I think avoidance more typically characterizes PTSD, whereas someone who is intentionally exposing themselves to a situation where they could uh, be triggered or they, they could come face to face with what they had been afraid of, you know, th- 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 that requires effort. That th- that's that's a conscious act in defiance of the of a fear. Now, do you? Do you help your uh, your clientele without with being a hypno, hypno hypnotist? Do you help them face their fears? Like if it it comes down to I'm not, I don't want to go into weight loss or trying yeah. to be to feel positive about yeah. something that is much more serious than what's really going on. But do you mm-hmm. do you reintroduce them into? the fear like tell us a little bit about that yeah well for for me the goal that or the the objective i i have for my client is acceptance of whatever truths will benefit them so i'll use death or dying as an example because throughout our lives we are all confronted with death and dying if everything happens in a natural order, we're going to watch our parents pass. It'll be abnormal to kind of go through a lifetime and then no one you're close to dies. Um, so yes. we, we all at some point have to kind of come face to face with death. And over the past couple of years, um, I, it's, it's, I don't know whether it's because of COVID or, or something else, but I, I have worked with it quite a number of clients to help them with their fear of death and dying. And th- there is a book I read called uh, Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. It, it won a Pulitzer Prize in 1974. Um, and it, it, it's basically, um, you can stop me if I'm monologuing too much, but Becker, exp- Becker kind of contradicts Freud because Freud identified repressed sexuality as the cause of all neurosis. Becker identifies denial of death, repression of death and dying as the cause of neurosis, but also the cause of much art and religion and other human rituals. So it's it's a very interesting philosophical book on how our fear of death drives so much of culture and so much like people will build monuments and write all their thoughts into a book before they die. And they'll have children to kind of um, cope with the terror of our eventual morality. But then we have, say, the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers who used memento mori, you know, remember that you too will die as almost a comforting thought. Because the fact that we'll all eventually die um, means that we can live more fully once we recognize our aliveness, which is a point I had made earlier. Yes. So, um, so I, I think that the philosophy of memento mori, remember that we'll die, and um, I guess the unspoken corollary is remember you're still alive. That is a healthier attitude than attitudes that would have you deny or repress your own mortality. So um, I think that answers the question. Yeah, no, you you killed it. Like you literally beat the shit out of it and it's bleeding out on the floor. Thank you. That is fantastic. Let, let's rewind a little bit. We, we addressed one truth. We still have two more to go. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, uh, I, I didn't really have a list of three truths, so I guess I'll have to think of one. No, no uh, yeah, you, you definitely mentioned uh, there's three that allowed us to see, to recognize what's actually happening in front of us. Yeah, um, it, it may have been an offhand thought, no, not necessarily one I've kind of thought out. Um, I mean, I would say that in everything I do, I kind of bring people to some reassuring truths. And the, tr- the short list of truths I'll point out will differ depending on the client. So if I have, say, like a weight loss client, the <laughs> list of truths I'll convey to them is going to be different than if I have a client who um, is afraid of their eventual mortality um, I mean, I, I have had a couple of, of clients in this past year who literally had cancer and one of them did pass. But even someone in their the final months of their life is still a conscious human being. Their quality of life will still be improved if they keep their mind on certain things. Their quality of life will still be diminished if they put their mind on other things, as long as one has aliveness and consciousness, as long as one's a breathing human being, there's, there's always something to be said for groundedness in the reassuring truths. I mean, many people who are about a past, they kind of make peace with their mortality mm-hmm. and they're not scared of it any longer. Okay. And that's a wonderful place to be. Yes. No. So, what I, I'm understanding is we are reducing, just eliminating the emotion, the, the driver that is affecting us on living our life fully, whether it's something negative or if it's something positive, being actually afraid of success or some, something that's historic that is still bothering us to, to this day. Yeah, I, I, I look for sort of the, the misconceptions. So wherever the client thinks differently from someone with a good, healthy, grounded perspective, but who's in the same situation, I'll borrow from that healthy thinking client or that healthy think, thinking person, their worldview to communicate to my client. So, um, you know, if, if you give me a specific example, I can sort of put this abstract idea sure. into specifics. Before we do that, can you tell me, was there a common theme that you've came across with your clients that stand out that will help us yes. recognize and address it? So the, the one point I write into all of my treatment plans, every single one, is that the mind-body link is very real. And I'll expand upon that. So the thoughts you hold in your head and heart are going to be affecting your body one way or another. If you think of your physical body as a perfect listener, so that, you know, whatever you're thinking in your head is going to affect your body, then you have almost an obligation to speak kindly to yourself inside your own head. For the same reason that if you have a child, like you have a son, right? Yes. So your th- your son's kind of just absorbing everything around him. And there are no perfect parents, so you don't have to like reach perfection as a parent. Um, but, you know, he is going to be like absorbing and listening. And that gives you an obligation to pick your words 
so that you're speaking the kinder thoughts, so that he has good influences, so that he grows up with a worldview that maybe you didn't have just handed to you, but that will benefit him if you just kind of hand to him a worldview that you know is going to benefit him. So we kind of recognize this obligation to children that they're, they're such good listeners, we must be careful about what we say to them. And then there are some things we just would never say to them because what we recognize those thoughts as harmful. Now, what, so, what do you mean by harmful yeah. thoughts? Because, I mean, I'm fathering sure. a, a newborn, of course, in yeah. six months. He's, not, he's no longer newborn. Oh, okay. I got to right. stop that. And a stepdaughter, I tell, yeah. I tell her my 100% what I believe in about everything. I, don't, I hold nothing back. Now, yeah. is, that, is yeah. that wrong? I mean, we could go down that. That's a sticky road. But I, I, I don't know what you're saying to them, but, but, so I can't really g- g- give you an answer. Um, but um, what, what I, so to, to answer the question of what constitutes a harmful thought, yes. um, it's a thought that might limit someone, that might keep someone as a follower rather than let them become a leader. It's, it's a thought that would cause unnecessary suffering. It's, it's a thought that might make people more anxious or fearful than they have to be because it gives them a worldview that the world is fundamentally dangerous or people are fundamentally bad or, and, you know, it's sort of philosophical discussion. Um, but, um, generally I would identify helpful thoughts as ones that lead to a happier life. Yes. Harmful thoughts as ones that would diminish quality of life. I like that. And this, this is, it, it can ripple out not into just parenting your children, but also being a leader in an organization and how you view your team and how you approach them. I, what I'm picking up from you is you don't have to be a dick if you're, if the situation doesn't permit it. I mean, we all know the common theme and the mission and what is expected of us as the workforce as well as the management. So what I think what you're saying is we have to, I don't want to say pick and choose your battles. I want to say view the system and see what it is lacking and communicate to both sides, corporate and to your workforce and bring everybody on a common picture. Well, I think we're all familiar with the idea that people are motivated much better through praise and encouragement than through criticism or anything that would be harsh. Unnecessary, unnecessary criticism. Unnecessary. Un, like, not non-constructive criticism. So we're all sort of familiar with the idea that, you know, if we're training a dog or a cat or a horse, we give positive reinforcement to encourage what, what we want to see them do more Operate of. Operate conditioning, yes. Yep. And it's, you know, unnecessary to kind of, you know, um, inflict punishment um, because rewarding the good, rewarding what you want to see is enough. So we kind of apply this to employees as well, where we'll give more constructive, positive, helpful feedback than we would, um, you know, just kind of destructive or or overly critical feedback. Um, but the, the point I want to loop back to is that when you talk to yourself inside your head and your body's a perfect listener, it gives you the obligation to speak to yourself as you would anyone else you care about. So whether it's an employee who you're mentoring or, or a child you're raising or even a, a pet dog or horse you're training, 
you know, you have an obligation to yourself in the same way you have an obligation to others. They don't teach you this in kindergarten. Like they teach you to be nice to others. Mm -hmm. They don't teach you to talk to yourself as kindly to others. The false idea, I think, is that people believe that if they're kind to themselves, it makes them selfish or that it makes them arrogant. But the contrary. That's exactly. It's not like, you know, people who are hard on others, they have similar dialogue going on as other heads. But where kindness flows, kindness flows freely to everybody. So that's why I'm saying that you have almost an obligation, almost a moral obligation to speak to yourself kindly and be in sort of that supportive, kind, encouraging mindset because it's going to be reflected in then your relationships to others, whether family or friends or employees. Yes. But having one standard, the same standard you apply for others is really good for you too. Yes. There's no need to be overly hard on yourself because positive encouragement is enough. And people don't give this to, to themselves, which is why I keep having to say it. I agree. And what I want to illustrate and caveat on what you just said is with you beating yourself up in front of employees, in front of your children, just the way you act, that's being picked up by the people that look up to you. So if it's a comment that you say that was unnecessary, it's the clothing that you're wearing, it's it's the it's the attitude that you have about doing something that's a responsibility, that is what you're illustrating and that is what you're teaching and that is fucked up. And usually we pick it up from those we look up to when we're younger. This is sort of how generational cycles of trauma happen. But each person is not a robot or a machine. We're not like animals that can be easily trained. Each person can decide. It does require introspection and work, but each person can decide. They will live in accordance with what they believe to be right and good, and they can decide to disagree with their parents. They can decide their parents were so absolutely wrong about the matters that were harmful, the matters that, you know, mm-hmm. no longer jive. Um, so that they don't pass on trauma to the next generation. I agree. I mean, unless you want to join the military, you'll definitely get, you'll fucking adapt real quick and learn through their philosophy. But let's move mm-hmm. on. What's, what's the most interesting request you've received in your line of work? Ooh. <laughs> well, I, I, I do have to maintain confidentiality. I have a feeling like the most interesting requests are also unique and individual enough. They might identify individuals. <laughs> um, and many of the most interesting requests I, I actually will, will turn down because they're asking me to do things that I can't really do, or at least not with the tools I have. Oh, so I, God, I, I really want to know. Well, I, I, I'm in the business of kind of giving people new ways to think, right? So anything that is going to benefit from a new way to of, of thinking, anything that benefits from a change in perspective or attitude, I can probably help with. But then I'll get requests for, say, curing of physical illnesses, bringing an ex back, almost like they want me to do voodoo magic. That's where I have to turn them down because it doesn't matter how, you know, how differently they think about it. Um, they need a doctor for their, you know, physical illness and they need 
better communication and relationships if they want their ex back at all. So, yeah, I, I would say the most interesting cases, at least to me, are the unusual ones. But it's not unusual for someone to do a couple sessions so that they listen for a few hours and then they're done with tobacco. Or it's not unusual for, for someone to kind of listen for, for a couple of hours and whatever um, fear that they thought was just unique to them, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And they're kind of in the same grounded worldview that most of us have. Um, a few hours of listening actually can do a lot for a lot of people. This is something that not everyone recognizes. You have to have like, you know, good, helpful things to listen to. But you don't necessarily have to kind of talk out your problems all the time. You don't necessarily have to kind of just live with your problems. Um, a few hours of, of concentrated listening can be enough to make a big difference in your perspectives or worldview. Yeah. You don't just have like to listening to this podcast right here. That's why I'm here. Yes. I don't have to formally hypnotize people. I don't have to charge money to people in order for them to benefit from good ideas that they can adopt as their own i really like that now with with that advice what could you give i really want to get some personal questions and then we will shoot right to everything about you and what you want to talk about just like i promised you (laughs) sure (laughs) what type of advice would you give an individual who's taken on a leadership role for the first time Great question, because I'll see a lot of people, often in the context of public speaking and the fear of public speaking, because leaders will be asked to lead groups. Followers are rarely asked to take the microphone and lead a few hundred people. So um, one thing that it's I'm gonna true. Ch- I'm, I'm going to challenge you on that here in a moment. You oh, okay. say what you got to say. Okay. I'm, I'm challenging okay. you. Okay, awesome. So the, 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 the first thing I would say to new leaders is um, because you're no longer a follower, because you've risen to a leadership role, you have to become your own biggest source of encouragement and positivity and verbal support because there's like no one above you to give you these things. So when you're growing up as a child, when you're an adolescent, when you're, you're a junior employee, there's always someone above you to say, hey, Good work. Well done. Keep that up. Let's see more of that. And you felt good, right? You would feel like no, a nice No, that was cheesy feeling. and bullshit. It's like, this dude's an ass. <laughs> so, but, but once you become a leader, it's like everyone feels like it's not their place to tell you you've done a great job. It's, it's like, who, who, who tells the president of, of the United States they've done a great job? Who tells Elon Musk they've done a great job? I mean, you know, it's like President Biden. It's Elon Musk. Of course, they, you know, I, I, I mean, it to them. his bank account says he's done a great job. <laughs> yeah, but he has to like look at it and recognize that that in itself is validation. That in itself means he's done a great job. But not everyone will look at their bank account and see it as, you know, as like a good thing or validation of work well done. So one has to inside his own head speak to himself the way that a good leader or manager might speak to them. And um, professional athletes, for example, have to do this. So they, they can't wait for the crowd to cheer before they score the goal. They have to tell themselves inside their own heads that they can do it. They've got this. They can win this. Then they score the goal. Then the crowd cheers. And that's why professional athletes 
our leaders. Okay. I want to hold it because you got two things for me there. You want to challenge me? Yes. Let's go back to that. Okay. Followers afraid to step up to the plate and be, have that confidence to think that they can do it. That was me as a younger individual. I was that individual that did not receive the guidance that actually had to sort it out from everybody and just listen and just keep my mouth shut and just observe. And I observed through indirect and direct interaction and use of my own ability to be aware of my body and aware of my thoughts constantly. (laughs) Now there's a certain point where I've seen enough of where it's being repetitive and it's like, why are people still viewing this lens that is no longer applicable in today's society. I feel like it's my turn to say something because I have a unique perspective. I spent 20 years with my mouth shut observing, and I feel like we need a new view. We realize we're going to repeat history. It's a bunch of nonsense. We don't need to go out there. And now here I am. I am that introvert. I am that individual that was afraid to speak. But the way I see it, I embrace my vulnerabilities by being me, by being a a perceived dick when really I just want people to understand, Hey, these are relevant questions. Why haven't you considered these questions? And then you want to argue it, but then it's like, are you really arguing me? Are you arguing the possibility that it's time for you to realign yourself and start listening that you can't, you can't be one or the other. You can't be, you have to be both. You have to, Be it, it's it's consecutive, it's continuous, and then let's go to with. Oh man, I I was going ham on that. Then I forgot the second one where I wanted no, to go I'll, with it. But I'll, I'll answer that point because you basically, for lack of a better term, this has to be in quotes. You, you you grew up when you stopped following and just obeying ideas you disagreed with, and you took the mic yourself to speak to lead. To put what you thought were better ideas out in the public sphere. And earlier I said that this transition from follower to leader is a normal, healthy progression for a person that first want to be, say, 40 or 50 years old and only just turning to other people for opinions is honestly kind of, kind of pathetic. I, I, I don't mean that like in, in an abusive way. I just mean that someone who's become an adult can do much better than to always turn to others for validation or always turn to others for opinions. So, yeah, you, that story illustrated um, the point perfectly. Oh, thank that, you. Um, it's, um, it, 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 it's a healthy progression to not just put up, not just stay quiet, but to actually show leadership where leadership is lacking. Yes, I and would say I, open up versus grow up. And I, yeah. I agree with yeah. you with, uh, with just viewing life as it's time to adjust. It's time to move forward. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. oh, man, I'm trying to pull this out of my ass, and yeah. I can't get to that part where you left me. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to talk about that. What was it, that. It's a good conversation anyway. Yes, it is. Well, I love I, it. I, I wanna, and I want to point out that the, the, there's one of you saying the kinds of things you do, and then a whole bunch of listeners following your thoughts. And I'm hoping that in the future, many of them would, you know, start a podcast or start a blog or, you know, otherwise demonstrate 
leadership or even in their own organizations or workplaces to kind of step up where there's a leadership vacuum or like a moral vacuum or whatever else is missing. Oh, yeah. Um, but but there are more followers than leaders. This is why leaders are so appreciated. It's easy to follow. It's easy to turn to others for for opinions or guidance. It's harder to follow. So it's harder to lead. It's harder to be vulnerable, to put your thoughts out there, to kind of be in the spotlight. But it's necessary for some percentage of the population to show leadership, um, especially where leadership is lacking. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I see a lot of people stepping up and saying shit that doesn't make sense, that doesn't go in align with their character. It's like you want authentic leadership, but then they can't embrace their own problems. I am very intuitive and I can just see trauma all over them. And it's like, dude, why haven't you addressed that shit first before you're telling me to fix my life? To, 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 to me, it, it isn't leadership when you ask someone else to go before you. So if you haven't done something, but you tell someone else to go do it, that's not leadership, right? No, leadership, that's, that's, that's an asshole. It's, 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 it's when you go first. So this kind of ties in with authenticity. You're being unhypocritical. If you tell people, like I'm telling people, you know, I would love to see, you know, people share more cool ideas in the blogosphere and the podcast sphere, but I'm also kind of going first. Like I'm also putting myself out there and sharing ideas and without a script and without, with someone who's holding me to task if I monologue or if I BS. Hell yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so yeah, the, the, the world benefits from people filling in gaps and voids in ethics or vision or, you know, what we perceive to be lacking. Um, so I think that's why leadership is so talked about, um, like in school and mm. so talked about in, you know, at, at least like good families. We talk about leaders of tomorrow, leaders of the future. Um, it's because the whole world benefits, but only if they've gone first and they're not hypocritical and they're not telling people to do things they haven't done themselves. Yes. And I, I get it. I, I, I get the process. It's a developmental role. The way I see it, I mean, this is just anecdotal direction that I'll provide. It's you, you really can't be a leader if you haven't gone through the trenches first and took the time to learn yourself in through everything in my interactions with potential uh podcast uh recordings those that didn't make it on your transformation station they didn't go through and understand what operates them what what do they what what values do they they take what values will do they stand up for what character traits matter to them most all these things that make a human being at its most peak performance level you have to go through that and understand it and know it like it's on the back of your hand no matter what because you're going to be tested through every situation and you cannot you cannot prepare for what life has in store. The best way to do it is know you and what you can handle and challenge yourself and step out there and say you can do it because that's what really matters. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. 
I just want to go ham on this thing right now. So that, that was fantastic. But um, now with hypnotism, with hypnotism, mm-hmm. yes. In my psychology classes, in my college days, well, in-person college days, now it's remote. <laughs> my instructor did not believe in hypnotism. He completely told me it was garbage. It's horse shit. Don't mm-hmm. believe it. It's nothing. You can bring that up out of yourself through being consistent and consecutive and just make mm-hmm. your own identity by your own belief system. Now, mm-hmm. what do you have to say to him? Great question. So if he's listening, um, I would first ask, do you think I spoke a single line of bullshit during this interview, during this unscripted interview? Do you think I'm misleading people into a false perception of the world? Do you, do I um, match that stereotype of a hypnotist that you had inside your head? And uh, pr- probably not. Now, that there are different ways to do hypnotism. Earlier, I said that I made the choice not to put people in fantasy worlds and to kind of ground people in whatever the reassuring truths might be in their situation. That, that. that was a conscious choice. I didn't have to go that route. I, I could you know, have people flying through waterfalls and feeling like they're a beautiful dolphin freely, um, you know, playing inside the ocean. There there is that style of hypnotism. It's not what I practice. It's not what hypnosis has to be. And I also don't think it serves people as much as grounding in the truth. Um, And again, I'll point out if, um, if someone who's dying of cancer can accept the truth that they have a limited time on the planet and still find beauty and love during their remaining time on planet Earth then whatever situation your your listeners might be in, they can also find the reassuring truths and the inspiring truths and the life-affirming truths, but they've got to look. That's the important thing. Not everyone goes and looks for the inspiring truths or the reassuring truths or the empowering truths. Yes, there but, it is. Those are the three. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's just like off the top of my head, but but yeah. Um, so like, so now I can answer the question that I didn't really completely um, understand when you when you asked it earlier. So an example of a reassuring truth is is that you are still alive. You still have a tomorrow. Most likely, you still have a next month and a next year. That's mm-hmm. a pretty reassuring truth. Um, an inspiring truth um, might be. I don't know. Everyone has their own heroes. And often we look up to our heroes because they've gone through similar adversity or some even a worse adversity and they kept their heads up high and they maintained their dignity and they never lost their humanity, even though some do. So, you know, any of our heroes, when we read their biographies, we read a lot of inspiring truths that point to what's possible for a human being. Um, empowering truths to, to, to give you an example, um, you know, for, for the fear of public speaking, you know, by the time you're asked to speak as an adult, usually you really do have something to say. And usually you know more about it than pretty much everyone in the audience. So you're legitimately in a leadership role if you're asked to speak to a group as an adult. 
So those are some examples of the types of truths that I want to keep my eye on and that, that I want my clients to also fully accept and embrace. Wow. Like that, that is, that, and, and that, yeah. that also answers your college professor and sort of <laughs> his mistaken view of hypnotists because, you know, you know, what it sounds like he believes is quite different from what I actually do. Um, it's, it, it is a powerful tool. Hypnotism can be kind of used to have people believe in things that aren't true. But, you know, people will join cults without hypnotism. People will believe in all sorts of schemes without hypnotism. So the fact that hypnotism can sometimes be used to get people to believe lies, to me, doesn't mean anything about hypnotism and everything about the person who's practicing it. Yes. Yes. The power of framing and priming the brain to go into a a state of another world. But And suggestion. Yes. Thank you. Power of suggestion. That's Yes. Thank you so much for taking the words right out of my mouth. Now I have one more question and then I want to sure. highlight your practice and we can go into that. Now sure. for our listeners, what is some actionable advice they can extract from this next words that come out of your mouth? What? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll reference some earlier words that have come out of my mouth. And one big takeaway that I think your listeners can, can, um, might have is that mind over matter is a real phenomenon. The mind-body link is real. And the inner dialogue you have in your head and heart is going to be heard by your body. Which means if you speak to yourself like a friend... And your body's listening, your body's going to feel kind of befriended. But if you speak to yourself like your worst enemy, your body's going to feel the hostility. And it's going to be on edge. And unnecessarily, because you do have a lot of say in what you say to yourself. I mean, my entire job is to give people helpful thoughts to keep in their heads and hearts so their body is hearing what's truthful and if the truth is they can relax if the truth is nothing terrible is going to happen then their body relaxing is a correct perception of their current circumstances um so a huge takeaway is the mind body link is real we have to recognize this a lot of the suffering that people go through, it's because of the way they talk to themselves. I mean, like if you yeah. if you're married to someone and you only speak harshly to them, it's not going to be a good marriage. They're not going to be happy. I speak harshly to myself, and it's that's what but, I've trained myself to be like. I and, use that as and, fire to motivate me. And even though it's familiar and it has some upside. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that not everyone, op- not every high achieving person talks to themselves the way you talk to yourself. It's possible for you to achieve your goals without being as hard on yourself, just like it's possible for a friend or a child to achieve their goals without too much criticism and only positive reinforcement. So the, 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 the huge takeaway is to be mindful about how you talk to yourself because you have zero obligation to be hard on yourself. In fact, if you uphold the same standard by which you'll speak to a friend inside your own head, th- that's a very good standard for self-talk. 
So if there's something you would never say to a friend, like, it, it, I, I don't know if you're like ex-military. Um, yes, or, I am. The, the shaved I, I head right there. Earlier. But, but also just also sort of like the, the, the ways you talked about the military. Um, so obviously, like, the, there's, there's a different culture in the military mm-hmm. where you don't speak too kindly and gently. Well, that's, I feel like that's the perceived understanding from the outside of the customs okay. and courtesies. It's more direct, right to the point. No, yeah. Like this is what needs to be done because we're under pressure. And people awesome. that don't yeah. experience that view that as negative. When I feel right. like that is, holy shit, like you saved me yeah. about 20 minutes yeah. of a conversation by telling me to do this. And it only took me – you. 10 seconds, but I want to go and, back to the mind body yeah. before I forget. Cause you, you brought it back to me. What I, I, I completely, I agree like 100%. I want to illustrate that when I, I let my hair grow out. So mm-hmm. once that happened, I started to get lazy. It was, it, it was mm-hmm. kind of just happening in a weird yeah. way where it's like, I'm not doing the, the things that I used to do. I used to do a morning routine where I would journal, I'm, do all this great stuff that really satisfied me. But then I started to, I, just, I decided to shave my head. And then that brought back a side of me that I've experienced when I was active duty. And now here I am watching the clock, doing the things I need to do, making sure this shit's getting done one way or another. I don't care yep. that that is occurring automatically. And I get it with the putting the uniform on and that helps us go back to the identity that we made. But even just altering something on your body, it brings you right back. Well, it's interesting how hair is symbolic. And I know this is like an auditory podcast, so your listeners can't see, but I haven't had a haircut in quite some time. The, the, the pandemic basically forced the government to shut down the barbershops in Toronto. So I'm like, screw it. Our premier and our mayor are growing their hair out as a show of solidarity to, you know, to, to their, their, their constituents. You know, it's going to yeah. be a new fashion. So I started grow, growing out my hair just because I couldn't get a haircut legally. There were underground barbers. Anyway, <laughs> but there is an association between longer hair and creativity. Um, yes. You know, being a free thinker, being a philosopher, being an artist, being a, a bohemian. And there is sort of an association between short hair and being a businessman or being military um, or being a monk or being, um, you know, in some kind of highly regimented role. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really... It's an observation. I don't know why there seems to be such symbolism in in hair, but it's not just you. It it seems to be that, um, like, I know when I used to get more frequent haircuts that I would feel a little bit sharper. I would feel like a little bit like I would choose the more business-like clothing from my closet after Mm. after a haircut. So it's 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 interesting how symbolism kind of. affects our thinking and, and our behaviors, but yeah, it's definitely not just you. Oof. I've, I've hit on this before and I'll just bring it back in just a hair. <laughs> Having, doing these little habits, the haircut, obviously brushing your teeth, flossing, even if you get to floss a fucking tooth just to get a habit going, that all intersects into taking accountability. And I feel like accountability is linked to something that 
requires, I want to say, I don't want to just use physical labor. I don't want to use a 12 hour shift. First off, let me, I want to just thank all of our uh, selfless service uh, individuals out there. I appreciate your service, military, firefighters, police, everybody, secret service, all of you guys. I love what you do. I'm a veteran and I appreciate you. You got somebody has to take the torch on. But going back to this, it those little habits integrate. And now what you said with long hair and creativity, you're damn right. Because I would let my hair grow and I was doing graphics and shit. And it just it's just like you're not focusing on moving around. You're letting your brain grow versus your body. Mm hmm. Interesting. Interesting. You, you did correctly recognize that I know very little about, about the military. Um, you know, it, it's, I live in a big city. You know, I'm in Canada. We're famous for being peacekeepers. We're not famous for invading different countries. So, so you're right. I know, very, I know, I, I do know very, very little about it. Um, but to, to kind of generalize more broadly, um, there is truth in the idea that how you do the little things reflects also how you kind of do the big things and the little things are not necessarily trivial or unimportant because if you're kind of on top of the little things like flossing your teeth you're probably also on top of the big things like running your business so yeah it, it's interesting for sure yes and then if you're doing those little things when when do we decide that our internal dialogue has gone too far when we are overdoing it and we are not actually applying our attention to other places that should be applied to i'm i'm not sure there are like very definitive standards but i will say that i believe each person is the best person to decide for themselves so rather than me or you or like someone's spouse, if someone looks at how they spent a day and they realize they spent way too much time polishing their shoes and not enough time, you know, working on their business, they can self-assess that the next day they had to change their priorities. But I don't think any outside authority needs to kind of come in to say that's too much time polishing your shoes, not enough time working on your business. That, you know, one can, as long as one's looking, you know, as, as long as you're looking at how you've spent your day, then you can recognize when you're wasting time on the unimportant things and not leaving enough time for the important things. Yeah. I mean, unless you want a business that's running, I mean, you better put the fucking shoes down and address what needs to be addressed right now. <laughs> but um, now tell us about your establishment and where can we learn more and anything that you haven't told our audience you would like to share with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are several places your listeners can find out more about me and the way I think, um, especially about hypnosis. And probably the best place is my YouTube channel, Morpheus Hypnosis. Um, oh, there's nice. uh, some there's some free sample sessions. There's uh, a crash course in how to hypnotize your friends for fairly lighthearted purposes. Um, there's um, uh, episodes of a podcast I tried to launch. There were only ten episodes, but you know you can hear my thoughts about hypnosis. Um, there's also a Watch Me Work series where for the 15th anniversary of the founding of my office, I live streamed some online sessions, of course, with the consent of the participant. And 
unedited, unscripted, um, with issues the client would kind of present to me, you can, you can watch me work. It's a, a pretty accurate representation of what my clients are actually paying me for behind closed doors. So the YouTube channel is probably the best place to find out more about me. Um, I mentioned my podcast. Um, it's now been quite some time since I've updated it, but it's called The Hypnosis Nerd. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on uh, iTunes and Google Podcasts. Um, if you do want to work with me individually, um, you can reach out to the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis at morpheusclinic.com. Uh, we have an initial consultation process. Um, I do written treatment plans. Um, but I, I hope that even just listening to this to this episode, that um, your your listeners have gotten a lot out of it when it comes to <laughs> ways of thinking that are worth keeping, and also ways of thinking that are worth revisiting or discarding. Yes, I know my ADD can be very overwhelming to people I interview, so I do appreciate you maintaining your composure through our social interaction. No, I, I love it. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Definitely. I will link everything in the show notes. You, I, I just want to share this real quick before I let you go. When we started recording initially, you, the, the way you speak, it, you already were putting me in a trance because I was like, holy shit. Like this dude is legit. Like we're, we're just talking and I'm like, Okay, but the the, the 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 intent is not to hypnotize people. So maybe we need a warning at the start of the podcast <laughs> thing. Don't listen while you're driving or operating machinery. Um, but uh, but the intent is not to um, put people into a trance through any kind of technique. My intent is to speak as clearly and impactfully and truthfully at the same time. And I think if you kind of look at really good communicators, um, you know, like p- people who have audiences or people we want to listen to, like presidents, for example, you will hear that they're speaking. Um, uh, I forgot the adjectives <laughs> I used, but they're speaking truthfully for sure. And they're speaking impactfully and they're speaking clearly. So even without any intent to hypnotize someone, I think that sincere, clear, truthful, authentic communication is going to be listened to one way or another. Well, I don't know if the president's being truthful, but we'll leave that well, off. <laughs> thinking more about, you know, the entire history of the United States and not necessarily more okay. recent years. But Luke, I appreciate you coming on the show today. It really meant a lot for me. Thank you for having me. You take care. Now, please okay, tell me how you gotten so good at speaking like public speaking was my biggest fear and now i feel like i'm a kid that just kind of trances around i'm 30 years old and i just feel like i trance it around not just showing off when i could be so much better and hearing you talk i i idolize that like that is fucking cool and it's definitely not an um a built-in uh ability it, it, it's so Learned. obviously so I, I i wasn't even born speaking english i grew up um for my first few years overseas um uh, but to answer the question as succinctly as i can i think that if you start from the idea that you have something important to say 
and add in the idea that people can appreciate truthful, vulnerable, authentic speech, then those two things will go a long way in helping you to sound compelling. I mean, that, that's maybe a word I would use to describe how I kind of want to sound as a hypnotist. I want to sound compelling. I want to speak for a couple hours and have someone be changed for the rest of their lives. Yes. But I can't sound compelling unless I also believed in what I was saying. So I think that putting everything in the right order means you have to start from speaking truthfully, authentically, and sincerely. And also recognizing that what you have to say matters and will make an impact. And more will come, you know, more will come from that. Um, it'll be out of order to do vocal exercises. It'll be out of order to wonder which microphone to purchase. Um, you know, those things might come later. But to kind of go back to the foundations, um, you know, even, you know, whether you have a, uh, you know, a softer voice or a louder voice or a higher pitched voice or a lower pitched voice, the sincerity cuts through. The authenticity cuts through. Okay. So I'm, I'm on the right direction because I could definitely. Yes. Yes, thank- absolutely. Okay. That, that's, that's my main focus. Um, I definitely tried using the, the metronome. I've done the, like, I would speak for like a minute and then listen back and try to correct my S's or my ums or all that nonsense that comes out. Mm-hmm. But I really want to enunciate and deliver a crystal clear message with heart from the other end. You're, you're doing a good job. I mean, most people are their own worst enemies, so they criticize themselves. I can kind of see you do that. And I know I do it myself to myself sometimes, but because most people are their own worst enemies. But just sort of objectively from the outside, you sound like you know what you're doing. You sound like a radio broadcaster. You like you, you've got the, the the tone, the clarity, the enunciation. So you might just be hard on yourself in this situation. Uh, that's what my significant other says. She's always telling. Now me that. there's two. Now there's <laughs> at least two people telling you your inner critic is wrong, and from the outside you sound perfectly fine. That if if I could get. Just one piece of advice for myself. I know you probably have to get going, but is there anything I can do to eliminate this critic that I use to protect myself that I don't no longer need to be protected? It's it's a huge topic. Um, off the top of my head, one idea to wrap your head around is what you just said, which is you don't have to protect yourself by anticipating that someone else is going to yell at you. So the inner critic, you are right, tends to kind of be internalized. So that the idea is if you criticize yourself first and stop yourself from, quote, doing something stupid, you won't get yelled at by a parent. You won't get punished by a teacher. Um, But as you've correctly identified, because today you're an adult, no one's going to yell at you. So one thing I I said at the very start is because you're an adult, your morality matters. If you don't think you deserve to be yelled at, if you, if you, like, for example, let's say there's a technical problem and your mind automatically goes to, oh, I'm messing it up. I'm wasting his time. You know, I, I can tell you. I was not thinking that. I've been on enough podcasts. I've hosted enough um, episodes of my own podcast to know that that shit happens. 
And, you know, shit does happen, which yes. means no one's expecting perfection. And if you also stop expecting perfection, there's no one who's going to expect perfection. We just kind of roll with the punches as we did earlier. And, you know, I, I, I you know, so often um, it's the unnecessary suffering that we can dispense of with no consequence. And a very harsh inner critic, in my opinion, causes unnecessary suffering and, you know, through whichever means when you ignore it, when you forget about it, good things will happen and nothing bad will happen because, as you said, the danger's over. No one's going to yell at you. I, I love this. This is really helpful. Can, I would just like to share with you how that inner critic sounds. Just so I'm not, I'm not just so I know I'm not crazy and that, or I am that Greg, you need to stop. But usually it goes like this for this specific example, Mm -hmm. you got on early. I should have had my, this was, I'm yelling at myself internally, like within split seconds, Greg, what the fuck is wrong with you? You should have had your shit up here, ready to go on, on time, ready. And now you have created a pattern yeah. so people are yeah. going to know that you are a piece – you're lazy. You don't give a fuck. You can't, you can't get on the mic. You can't preach what you're telling them if you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. And it's like I, I just want to punch myself in the face. <laughs> and so that, that tells me that when you were young, someone spoke to you like that. Now, my question Every for you – great. My question for you is, would you speak to either your stepdaughter or your son like that when they can understand your words? Would you ever speak to them like that? I'll be honest. I did in the beginning. Yeah. When, I first, uh, when I first took them under my wing, I was in the army for five and a half years. And yeah. going from living in isolation to different states to settling down and mm-hmm. buying a house for them, I didn't know how to be a parent. And what I didn't know how to be was a sergeant. And the way I was talking to her and her other son that is now living with the stepfather, that it was insane. And I thought it was normal. And I thought, why don't you get it? And I, I had to get a wake up call on my life. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just did the very thing that my dad was doing to me. And now I'm going to spend every day of my life making it up to my stepdaughter. Yeah. And that realization that you can't pass on former trauma, past trauma to the next generation is how you are making it up to her. Because the easy default is to do to the next generation what was done to you. The harder thing to do is to be a bulwark between past and future, refuse to let the shit get through, and pass on the good stuff. So what I have to say about the inner critic is that in your head, you do have the inner critic, which you now refuse to voice out loud as criticism, harsh criticism to your children. But you also have the inner voices of kindness, which you do voice out loud to your children. Every moment I can. And it's the same inner voice of kindness that's going to help you too. The things you say to your children are not just for your children. The things you say to your children are good ideas, 
good, sound ways of operating in the world that are good for you, just like they're good for them. Because the things we teach children are not supposed to be just until they're 18. The things we teach children are supposed to be for when they're 30 and 40 and 50 and 70 years old. So they're also good enough for you at your age. Does, does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit because I, I needed that. Like nobody could articulate what I needed. And thank God, like we've had the show because I really, really needed that. And I, I don't know if you want to include that bit in the episode that airs. I have no objection to any of this being because that's why I showed up. The things I'm saying to individuals that they have to pay me money for would benefit so many people around the world. And, you know, again, that, that, that's why I'm here. It's, it's, it's to help to spread good ideas and good ideas have helped me. Good ideas are helping you. Good ideas will help your children. Good ideas will help all of your listeners. Good ideas will also help those who listen to people who listen to you. There's a ripple effect. Yes. So I'm doing my part. Like, you know, there are only so many ways I can make the world a better place. And one of, I think one of the best ways I can make the world a better place is by speaking the good ideas I speak to individuals, but more broadly to other people. So I'm, I'm, I really am glad that you had me on. I, I saw at the moment, like I'm very, very intuitive. Like I've done nothing but research body language and I'm very familiar with psychology. We, we could have went ham on so many things. And I'm like, Greg, you got to compose yourself. But if you want me back for another episode in the yes. future, just let me know. Yes, I strongly want to make another one, get that set up as soon as we can, because you have a lot of insight that the world, what what you know is foundational understanding of the brain that goes unnoticed because that is what needs to be practiced yep. and understood because yep. it applies to everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. If someone else were kind of in the public sphere saying everything I say, my work is done. But it's because I'm not hearing enough people say what I'm saying. That's why I've got to step up and be the person to say these things. To, to, right? Yes. That's the yeah. leadership I was talking about earlier. Yes. You know, when there's a vacuum of, of truth or good ideas or morality or whatever else, you know, if you don't like the vacuum, you've got to step up if, when, when no one else is doing it. Yes. I'm going to do it with my humor because I know I can really bring light through my witty, dark, abnormal side comments. <laughs> and humor is one of the, one of the mature defense mechanisms um, you know, it's it's like you know you don't want to repress the dark stuff. You you don't want to deny the dark stuff. Humor is one of the best ways to deal with the dark side of life. God, we can have a whole episode about my dark side and my thoughts about it. it, it, it it's up to you. I, I'd be happy, as you can tell. I don't need much preparation to speak about a lot of different topics. So just tell tell me when and I'll. You know, 
I'll tr- probably be at my office next time so we don't have to deal with condo stuff. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would be very happy to return for another episode. Beautiful. I will chop this up. Just the, the silly parts. I want to, I want to try to incorporate what we just spoke because that's what the audience needs to hear. They really need to hear that authentic conversation. And that's what I was trying to illustrate. It was a little rough because you have, I, I feel like you're not used to conversations like this. I wanted to illustrate a, friend to friend conversation me having your back yeah. and you having my back and yeah it's, it's really uh, hard yeah and for for me it's it's like i've been working from home largely for the past two and a half years in literally this setup so when my clients pay me to hypnotize them over the internet i'm standing right here talking into this microphone with my client in front of so i probably sounded like a professional talking to a client in a way yes because i basically that's basically where in my office it's the same same kind of deal um but 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 yeah um the the bit at the end especially i thought was really good thank you take care take care too You've been listening to your transformation station, your voice on the hard truths of leadership. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. Remember, your transformation station is on all major platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, and YouTube at YTS The Podcast and visit the website at YTSThePodcast.com Till next time.